6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck continues his teaching on the book of Psalms, chapters 52 through 55. Psalmist says, but I'm like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. I will praise thee forever because thou hast done it, and I will wait on thy name for it is good before thy saints. This brief little psalm gives us a prophetic picture of the Antichrist and of the believing remnant that will be hanging on during his reign and yet suffer under his persecution. And uh, they will... um, Worship and praise God when he finally, at the end, will be dethroned. That's really what it's saying. So does Psalm 52 seem to fit that? I think so. Okay. We talked about, I'll call Psalm 52, Mr. Big Mouth. Let's take a look at the next one and see what other characteristics seem to be evident in this period. That's the denial of God himself. Psalm 53 will is almost identical with Psalm 14 that we studied some sessions ago, with just a couple of subtle changes. It again, it's to the chief musician upon a machaloth that has to do with sickness and sorrow, as best as we can infer from it. And it corresponds to a mournful condition, uh, probably in the last days when the Antichrist is the ruler. And he, of course, will be an atheist. He certainly doesn't worship God. You remember Psalm 14 opens up, the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. You know, there's a uh, National Atheist Day. Did you know that? We, we, April 1st. That's All Fools Day, right? You know, there there are places you can dial an 800 number and get a prayer for the day. You know, you've heard of those, haven't you? You know, there's a number for atheists. You dial that number and nobody answers? No? <laughs> you like that? Okay, all right. The, notice, it's not the, 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 fool, the fool hath said in his mind. No, in his heart. It's not an intellectual problem. It's a heart problem. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. It's not his mind that stands in the way of belief. Because the more you know about the frontiers of physics, the more you know about the frontiers of microbiology, any of these fields, the more you're confronted with irrefutable evidence of design in the universe and thus a designer. No, you have to be incredibly strong-willed to ignore or refute or be blind yourself to, blindfold yourself to the evidences. There is no God. Why do does the secular scientist struggle so hard to avoid recognizing God because he doesn't want to be held accountable. If there's a designer, you know, it's astonishing. As we study the universe, most of you are familiar with the anthropic principle. Uh, The scientists, the secular scientists recognize that everything numerically is so well balanced, it's so delicately designed. They call that the anthropic principle. 
It's as if the whole universe is designed for man. They've more recently recognized, not only is that true, but it was also designed to be discovered. There's some very peculiar, rare relationships that make it possible to perceive the universe. We happen to be in the right place at the right time with the right tools. And it's teleological in the, uh, uh, linguistically. But uh, so uh, it takes a, a very, very strong commitment to try to ignore that. And because uh, if there's a designer, then there's accountability and people don't want accountability. And so that's why they cling to these attempts to try to explain away the existence of God. So they said in their heart, there is no God. Corrupt are they and have done abominable iniquity. There is none that doeth good. And uh, it's just that simple. Now, there are some aspects to the psalm that are very similar to Psalm 14 and a little bit different. There are two Hebrew words for God, Elohim and yod or Yehovah, or however you want to, the tetragrammaton. And the word Elohim is used in Genesis 1, for example. It's the term for God that emphasizes his role as the creator of the universe, Elohim. And Elohim is a very strange word because in the, in the Hebrew it's plural. You know, an I am, for certain classes of Hebrew nouns, the I am ending makes it a plural. There's a cherub and cherubim. Uh, there's a, uh, um, I'm drawing a blank, there's other. Anyway, the, 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 the I am ending. Um, Elohim is a plural noun. Now, Hebrew, like many languages, has to be declined. The noun must agree with the verb. And so, but every place Elohim is used in the Bible... It's a grammatical mistake because Elohim is a plural noun and it's used with a verb as if it's singular. In the grammar, there's the hint, if you will, of the Trinity. And uh, the explanation is that uh, here, O Israel, our God is one. The word is echad, which doesn't mean un It means in union. In union. Not singular like in the absence of others. We have plurality and unity in the same term. But anyway, that's Elohim. It's a term... You encounter the first, as you start getting into the Torah, Elohim is what you're confronted with. The yod heh the four letters that are the unpronounceable name of God, are the name that's used with his covenant relationship with his people. And sometimes Elohim is the focus or the flavor that the word used, and other times it's Yehovah or yod The rabbis don't try to pronounce it, they just use the letters, yod heh vav and, and, and the, But it is the, is the covenant name of God. Well... We have two, we have in Psalm 14, back we studied there, it uses Elohim three times and Yorhevavhe four times. Okay, no big deal. Psalm 53, it's always Elohim. Why would that be? Because Psalm 53 is emphasizing God's role as a creator because his role as creator holds us without excuse. While I'm on the subject, there is a particular judgment that God pronounces on a culture that refuses to accept him as creator. You know, we as New Testament Christians tend to focus again and again and again on Christ the Redeemer, and indeed we should. I'm not demeaning that. Don't misunderstand me. But we sort of take, as Christ New Testament Christians, we take the creator aspect for granted. Of course he created the universe. Jesus Christ created the universe. Great. We miss the fact 
that in, in the, I, I was shocked when I was doing a Genesis commentary as I went through the whole Bible to realize how important God's role as creator is all through the Bible. In Genesis and Isaiah, all through Psalms. It's interesting um, that God pronounces a specific judgment on a culture that denies to acknowledge him, that refuses to acknowledge him as a creator. Do you know what that judgment is? Homosexuality. I was stunned to realize, I always looked at homosexuality as an individual sin. Clearly, the book of Leviticus and elsewhere that deals with it that way, and most Christians deal with that. If you choose to go that path, there's going to be certain consequences. It never dawned on me to read, I, I, I read Romans chapter 1 so many times, and it leaped out at me here less than a year ago in such crisp terms that it frankly startled me to realize from, Rebel, uh, from Romans chapter 1, verse 20 to the end of the chapter, just read it. And you'll notice that God is saying that they are without excuse. And for those that refuse to acknowledge him as creator, he will give them over to these things which are not convenient. It goes on to expressly, graphically describe the homosexual uh, practices. And, uh, but it's interesting, God gives them over to that. I never realized that that's God's judgment for what? For failing to recognize him as creator. Now, this psalm is going to hit that pretty hard because the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And the term that's lingering under the text here in the Hebrew is the word for God is Elohim, not Yorhevavhe. Okay? Let's go. So, Psalm 14, Elohim's only three out of seven. Psalm 53, it's seven out of seven usages there. Just a subtlety of the language you miss in the translation. Second Thessalonians talks about this man of sin. The, the Antichrist. Let no man deceive you by any means, Paul says. For that day shall not come except there become a falling away first, that the man of sin be revealed. There's one of the titles of the Antichrist. The man of sin, he's called from this passage. That the man of sin be revealed. The son of perdition. There's a second title. Son of perdition. Used of only two people in the, the Bible. The Antichrist and Judas. Son of perdition. And it goes on to talk about it. Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God. He opposes God and exalt himself, exalts himself over God. How does he do that? With words. His own words, obviously. He's boasting, bragging, exalting himself. Who opposes and exalteth himself above all that is called God. All that is called God. That includes Allah. That includes Allah. It includes everything. In each culture, there's a name for whatever. He exalts himself above all that is called God. Brahma. Fill in the blank. Or that is worshipped. Anything that's worshipped. He's above it all. So that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God. That's a term that Paul would use only of the temple in Jerusalem, which is destined to be rebuilt. How do we know the temple is going to be rebuilt? Because Jesus, Paul, and John all make reference to it as standing at the end times. So he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. This is the guy. The world's going to think he's great. And Paul, Paul goes on and says, Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things? That's a fascinating sentence to me because Paul went to Thessalonica. He was there three weeks, then had to go on. He writes in the first letter of Thessalonians, 
Then the second letter to Thessalonians, which are the most important letters prophetically in the New Testament. But they were all things that he's reminding them of that he taught when he was with them. When was he with them? During their first three weeks of Christian walk. He went to Thessalonica, they converted to Christ, there's their three weeks to be taught, and he's now writing back. Hey, remember I taught you about the Antichrist, all, the, all these exotic topics we taught in the first three weeks by Paul. Remember you not that when, you, when I was yet with you, I told you these things? This is not new news, in other words. He's just reminding them here. Okay, let's get back to Psalm 53. Psalmist says, God looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand, that did seek God. Every one of them is gone back. They were all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Is there anyone here that's been doing good? Can I see a show of hands? Well, most humble person here, please raise their hand. Yeah. Psalmist continues, have the workers of iniquity no knowledge who eat up my people as they eat bread? They have not called upon God. Israel is going to be sold as slaves. They'll be sold for food. Have the workers of iniquity no knowledge who eat up my people as they eat bread? They have not called upon God. There were they in great fear, where no fear was. For God hath scattered the bones of him that encampeth against thee. Thou hast put them to shame, because God hath despised them. Oh, that the salvation of Israel were come out of Zion. When God bringeth back the captivity of his people, Jacob shall rejoice, and Israel shall be glad. Boy, this verse 6 is a zinger. How can anyone say that God is through with the nation of Israel after reading verse 6 of Psalm 53? The psalmist is saying here, in the inspired word of God, Oh, that the salvation of Israel were come out of Zion when God bringeth back the captivity of his people. Jacob shall rejoice, and Israel shall be glad. You know, it's astonishing to realize that most churches... My notes will say many churches, but candidly I'll say most churches have embraced a view called replacement theology, that somehow the church has replaced Israel in God's promises. The that has all kinds of tragic outcomes, that point of view, not the least of which they're clouding the very explicit promises God has made in the Old and New Testaments, by the way. To deny that God has a future purpose for Israel is to deny the inerrancy and inspiration of the Scripture. God means what He says. And I want to remind you once again that Paul, probably the most brilliant of any of the writers, In his definitive statement of Christian doctrine, we call the book of Romans, hammers away for three chapters that God is not finished with Israel. They have a future. When God bringeth back the captivity people, Jacob shall rejoice, Israel shall be glad. God means what he says and says what he means. Okay, so that was the denial of God chapter, if you will. 
Let's move on to Psalm 54, which is going to talk more about the believing remnant. We've talked about Mr. Big Mouth. The first two are really focusing on him. The last two will focus on the conditions under his reign. And uh, cry, this is going to be a cry of faith in the time of the Antichrist. To the chief musician on a niganoth, which is a, apparently some kind of string, the musical instrument, best we know. It's a mashiel, which means it's therefore instruction. It's what a Greek would call a didactic poet, a poem, if you will. A, a psalm of David. And this one, we have a historical note here. When the Ziphims came and said to Saul, doth not David hide himself with us? What it's referring to is an occasion that happened twice when the, this, group of, this tribal group betrayed David by telling Saul where he was hiding. That's what is the, con the historical context of David penning this. But obviously we have the view that the Holy Spirit is guiding this for some purposes that go far beyond the perceptions of David himself. So uh, the, the Ziphims uh, betrayed David. If you're interested in that area, it's 1 Samuel 23 and 26 where there's allusions to that. But I won't take you through that here. Psalm says, Save me, O God, by thy name, and judge me by thy strength. Hear my prayer, O God, give ear to my words of my mouth. So we know that tribulation period is going to be a time when brother's going to betray brother. There was a, a godless crowd that betrayed David in the great tribulation. A godless Antichrist will be in power. And that's what we're setting the stage here for. Psalm says, For strangers are risen up against me. And oppressors seek after my soul. They have not set God before them, Selah. Think on this. Behold, God is mine helper. The Lord is with them that uphold my soul. And uh, he shall reward evil unto mine enemies. Cut them off in thy truth. And uh, mine enemies actually means those that observe me is the picture here. I will freely sacrifice unto thee. I will praise thy name, O Lord, for it is good. For he hath delivered me out of all trouble, and mine eye hath seen his desire upon mine enemies. Little psalm. Call for help. Confident that he's going to get it. Let's go to the last of the bunch. And this may be the most illuminating of them all. Psalm 55. Now this one, we can, from the psalm as we get into it, we can pretty well, we think, establish a probable historical context that caused David to pen this particular psalm. Absalom, as we have mentioned many times in our previous sessions, David's own son, led a rebellion against him and drew quite a crowd. David was quite upset because it's his own son. He actually left Jerusalem because he didn't want to damage the city. It, was that, it wasn't just a little uprising. Absalom had quite a following uh, being organized uh, with them. And uh, so David was forced to flee Jerusalem. He found there was large crowds following Absalom and knew there was going to be big trouble. And he didn't want his beloved city to be injured. So he physically left and went hid in the caves. And uh, so, uh, just, so it's almost a throwback to the days of Saul when those those 11 years, whatever, that he was uh, fleeing Saul in the, as, a, as, as a refugee, in effect. So David, left, having left his city, get the picture now, weeping over the whole situation. Here it is, his own son against it, and, and leaving his beloved city. He gets word from his loyal, some of his loyal following. Word bring, bring word to him. 
that Ahithophel, who was a member of his own cabinet and ostensibly a close friend, had gone over to Absalom's side and had betrayed David. He, Ahithophel becomes Absalom's primary counselor. Can you imagine how David felt to have someone he trusted, a member of his inner staff, if you will, turn against him? David thought everything was great, and this guy turns out to be a traitor, goes to join David's son. Get the picture here. You need to get that feeling to understand what's going to be coming here. Let's take a look at 2 Samuel 15 for a little background. David went up by the ascent of the Mount Olivet and wept as he went up and had his head covered and he went barefoot. And all the people who was with him covered every man his head and they went up weeping as they went up. And one told David saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, I pray thee, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. Hithophel was a wise counselor. He knew all the ins and outs. He knew all the secrets. And he's going to be counseling Absalom. David prays, O oh Lord, turn his counsel to foolishness. And that's exactly what God did, by the way. That's ultimately what happens. So let's take a look at this. To the chief musician on the Nicanoth, Amashel again, Psalm of David. This whole four, group of four are Amashels. That's why they're clustered, and that's why in, as a group they seem to profile the, the dispensational perspective. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not thyself from my supplication. Attend unto me and hear me. I mourn in my complaint and make a noise. This is called the squeaking wheel strategy. Okay? If the squeaking wheel gets the grease, right? David continues, Because of the voice of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they cast iniquity upon me, and in wrath they hate me. My heart is sore pained within me, and the terrors of death are fallen upon me. David did not know but that he might be slain at any moment, especially when those that were so close to him and now had deserted him. Can you imagine the insecurity? Can you imagine the, the, the fear in his gut? My heart is sore pained within me, and the terrors of death are fallen upon me. Fearfulness and trembling are come upon me, and the horror hath overwhelmed me. This is David turning to God under this extreme anxiety. And I said, Oh, that I had wings like a dove, for then I would fly away and be at rest. You know, I don't know if you have ever experienced serious betrayal. I don't mean just some gossip or rumors. That's a form of betrayal, of course. No, I mean a really serious backstabbing, a serious confidant you discover is turned against you. Unless you've had it, you probably have no way to feel, how, 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 understand how David felt. Now, Ahithophel, it should remind us of another betrayal. God by the name of Judas. In fact, Jesus when Judas betrays him, says, uh, 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 a friend has lifted up his heel against me, that, that he quotes Psalm 49, which is a psalm about Hittophel. Jesus himself links the historical issue of Hittophel idiomatically to what Judas was doing to Christ, betraying him. You with me? And so, and so, so it's possible too then, I'm going to suggest, just as a, as a, as a conjecture, 
Maybe Ahithophel also in some way may be a foreshadowing of another betrayal where the Antichrist betrays the nation Israel because he signs a seven-year treaty but then violates it in the middle when he sets himself up. So let's keep open to that possibility. Oh, that wings of a dove, for then I would fly away and be at rest. Lo, then I would wander far off and remain in the wilderness, Selah. I would hasten my escape from the windy storm and tempest. Destroy, O Lord. Divide their tongues, for I have seen violence and strife in the city. This is more than an individual thing. It's a bigger thing. Day and night they go about it upon the walls thereof. Mischief also and sorrow are in the midst of it. Wickedness is in the midst thereof. Deceit and guile depart not from her streets. So the result of this betrayal is civil unrest. It isn't a personal backstab. It's much, much bigger than that. Much bigger implications. And here is some interesting passages. For it was not an enemy that reproached me, then I could have borne it. Neither was it he that hated me that did magnify himself against me, then I would have hid myself from him. But it was thou a man mine equal, my guide, mine acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked unto the house of God in company. See, the pain is because it was an inside confidant situation here. Talks about some relationships that might be useful here. When we talk about Bathsheba, the previous session, she was the daughter of Eliam, right? And uh, she married a guy by the name Uriah, right? David comes along and kills Uriah, right? David's son Absalom turns against David in a rebellion, right? He gets helped by David's confidant Ahithophel. There's a little piece of information you've got to dig out to make this all make sense. You need to understand who Ahithophel was. Ahithophel was Eliam's father. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Psalms. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. Or you can call us on 1-800-K-HOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word. Music